Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the trial run of Daily American Press's Chatting with Abby. Daily American Press, a conservative media startup, reached out to me last week to see if I would host a podcast, which was convenient because I'd been flirting with the idea of starting a podcast for a while now. It was exactly the push I needed, so here we are. Because of how my life is right now with buying a house and working every day of the week to buy that house, I cannot promise consistent podcasts at first, but I'm going to try to put out something pretty regularly and uh, see how this goes, see what the time frame is going to be for it. It's just going to be trial and error, so I just thank you for bearing with me. And if you're listening to this, I'm so excited that you're here. Uh, For the next couple months, Daily American Press and I will be essentially auditioning for each other, so I'm curious to see how that goes. You can find Daily American Press online at dailyamericanpress.com and on Twitter at dailyamericanp1, that's dailyamerican, P as in Papa, and the number one. Today on Chatting with Abby, I'd like to talk about three things in the news and then introduce a book and movie review segment I'd like to try to do each week. So we're going to jump right in. I want to talk a little bit about what's been going on in Texas with the uh, abortion bill that just passed. And I want to talk specifically about how the left really doesn't understand And doesn't want to understand the pro-life argument. Now, I understand, as a pro-life woman, I understand the left's argument. The left's argument is that the fetus is just a part of the woman's body. And if that premise, that it's just a part of the woman's body, was true, then their entire argument would be valid. If that baby is just a part of the mother's body, then no one would have any right to tell her what to do with it or what not to do with it. It would be it would be a woman's rights issue. It would be a reproductive rights issue. It would be everything that the left says it is, and they would be right about everything. The problem is, I don't agree with that premise. And the none of the pro-life movement agrees with that premise. The pro-life movement is based on the premise that That baby is in fact not a part of the mother's body. That even though it's attached to her by an umbilical cord, it is a distinct human being from the moment of conception. So the pro-life movement says the woman has all sorts of rights, right up until the point where there's another distinct human being living inside of her, in which case that distinct human being also has rights, at which point you have to take into account both. Now, there are obviously situations, and the pro-life proponents love to bring up these situations in which there's a tubal pregnancy, which means that, I'm going to get sciencey for a minute, but it means that When the baby is conceived, instead of implanting in the uterus, it implants in the fallopian tubes, which is, which is an impossible situation. The baby cannot grow and live. The mom cannot live under those circumstances. So obviously there has to be an abortion in that situation because otherwise you would kill two people needlessly. There are situations like that 
in other areas of life where two people's lives hang in the balance and you can either lose both or lose one. And it's an awful situation, but it doesn't in any way negate that those are two people and they both have a right to live, if at all possible. The really sad thing about the pro-life, pro-choice argument is that everybody arguing for and against abortion, by and large, has never been aborted. There's a few people who argue for the pro-life side who have been unsuccessfully aborted, which is very interesting. But no one who has been successfully aborted can speak about it. So whenever I hear someone like Jen Psaki calling out a man for having an opinion when he's not a woman and when he's never faced a pregnancy, I'd like to call her out and say, well, you've never faced being aborted, so you shouldn't have an opinion either. If we're only counting the opinions of people who have experienced something, then... It's just going to be crickets from the aborted because they're all dead. They cannot stand up for themselves. And I think that's that's why the pro-life people are so passionate is because we genuinely believe that we are standing up for innocent human beings who have a right to live and that no matter what the mother's circumstances... With the exception of something like a tubal pregnancy, which is a very valid type of exception and logically consistent. That child has a right to live and we want to defend it because nobody else will. Nobody else can. That baby can't defend itself. Now, I think that the pro-life people have not done ourselves any favors by exhibiting sometimes really horrible, a really horrible lack of compassion. I have seen people arguing for babies, completely forgetting that the mom is also a human being. There's a lot more, I think, to to being really practically pro-life than just asking for a law to be passed. Because practically speaking, there has to be a a, a path forward for that baby to live. Now, everything I say from here on out is not a reason why an abortion should be allowed to happen. Because I believe that abortion is murder and that the baby is a distinct human being with a right to life. However, once we get past that little bit and we say, okay, the baby's going to live, then what? If you really care, as the pro-life person, if you really care about that baby and its life, then you have to care about the mother and the situation she's in. You have to care about whether or not she's abandoned, if she has a way to be able to carry that baby to term healthily, if she has access to medical care, if she has access to the money that she would need to feed herself and that baby appropriately, if she has access to an adoption, a path to adoption, if that's the way she's going to go, or if she has a way forward to be able to raise that child. These are things that conservatives really ought to care about. We can't just say, I mean, I guess we can, but it just kind of makes us assholes. We can't, we can't just say, 
okay, have the baby. We don't care what happens now. I think if we're going to start passing laws regarding abortion, we also need to pass laws that hold the men more accountable um, to take care of the woman they got pregnant. Because that's a two-person choice. It is a two-person choice to make a human being. And every time you have sex, that's something that you risk. That's a thing on the table that you're saying yes to, the possibility of pregnancy. Every time you have sex, you're saying, yes, I could get pregnant. And I think it's about time in this country we shift that mindset to be able to be honest about the fact that sex and pregnancy are not disconnected. One leads to the other. Not every time, not all the time, but it definitely can. And that's kind of the point of sex. I mean, come on. The point of sex is to put sperm in the woman, and that sperm is looking for an egg. Whether the two people are thinking that through, the sperm certainly is. The sperm is like, let's find an egg. That's their, its entire purpose is to go find an egg to fertilize, to make the woman pregnant. So I recognize that culture has drastically separated sex from pregnancy, but that doesn't mean that's a true thing, that those things are disconnected. So I know I'm rambling a little bit, but... I think that there, there's a lot that the left doesn't understand about where the right is coming from. And I think there's a lot that the right doesn't understand about where the left is coming from. Because there are a lot of good points made by the pro-choice proponents about the situations women find themselves in. And that doesn't just go away. If we really care about babies living and babies growing up to be members of society, then we do have to care about what happens after an abortion doesn't happen. So that's just my thought on that. Now, thing number two to transition horribly, because I have no idea how to do transitions. I want to talk about Larry Elder and his, uh, the gubernatorial race in California, the recall election. Uh, for Gavin Newsom, the absolute trash can of a governor of California, and how the left thinks that it can revoke someone's black card. Now, Larry Elder happens to be a black man, and uh, coincidentally, Gavin Newsom happens to be a white man, and uh, no one is saying that Gavin Newsom is a trash can governor because he's white. I don't think anyone is saying that. Some people might be saying that. I'm not sure. Not me. He's he's a trash can president because his philosophies are terrible and he's kind of a bad person who doesn't follow his own rules. He thinks he's above the law and he has completely destroyed his state, which is why everybody's leaving it. However, now, Completely leaving out whether Larry would be a better governor. I'm not here to talk about that. I don't know much about Larry Elder, mostly because I live in Virginia, not California. So I'm not really trying to make a decision about who would be the best governor of California. What I have been seeing is how thoroughly mainstream media and everything else that's 
all the other communication that's sort of run by the left has decided that Larry Elder isn't actually black. He doesn't he doesn't get a black card. He doesn't count. He's actually a white supremacist, actually, because the left has decided what it means to be black. The left has decided the definition of blackness. And if you don't fall into the left's definition of blackness, then you don't get to be black, no matter your skin color, no matter if you experience racism, no matter if this, no matter if that. They have a narrow view of what it means to be black. And too bad if you happen to be black and disagree with them. And that this happened with the Hispanic community at the last election. There were quite a lot of Cuban immigrants who voted for Donald Trump. And mainstream media immediately, upon receiving those statistics, went on a crusade to convince people that they weren't actually Hispanic, that they weren't actually brown, that they were actually just just white people in disguise, in tan. And I think that that's so stupid. For one thing, the whole division between black people and brown people and white people is so stupid. It's, it's a spectrum of gradation of mel- melanin from super duper duper pale people who I feel really bad about because they burn so bad in the sun to super, super dark people who don't burn in the sun. And I envy because I do. I'm right kind of in the middle of the white category to the tan end of the white category. And I still burn in the sun. So I definitely envy people with more melanin just for that reason. Not because I think that their melanin makes them better. Or that somebody else's lack of melanin makes them worse. I mean, imagine thinking that melanin defines you as a person. That melanin makes you better or worse or defines what your experience in life is going to be. It's just ludicrous. Now, I am not denying that racism happens. Of course racism happens. People are awful to each other for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes it's based on how somebody looks. Sometimes it's based on how somebody talks. Sometimes it's based on how somebody dresses or what their class is. Like, there's all sorts of reasons why people are awful to each other. That's just life. I'm not black, so people find different reasons to be awful to me. And sometimes maybe somebody uses black as the reason to be mean to you. And if that happened to you, I'm sorry. That wasn't okay. Um, Neither was it okay when someone was awful to me. It's Humans just suck. Honestly, humans just suck. And that's just kind of how it is. And it's not how it should be, but it is how it is. So all that to say, I think it is absolutely ridiculous when a white person on the left asserts that Larry Elder, a black man, is not actually a black man, but actually a white supremacist, and that he should just go away and stop running for governor so that a white man can still be governor. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. It's logically inconsistent and all sorts of terrible. Best thing to do, I think, is just to stop thinking about it in terms of race and I mean, imagine if the left just stopped being shocked when black people were Republicans. Imagine if the left just thought, oh, this person disagrees with me. They don't have to agree with me just because they're black. 
Like, that's so stupid. Anyway, I should probably get off this topic because I'm just repeating myself now. So, number three. Number three, I wanted to talk a little bit about us versus them mentality. I had somebody on Twitter, actually a few people on Twitter, uh, asked me the other day why I felt the need to make it a red versus blue issue or an us versus them issue. And I think the answer to that is it, it is that way. Society really has become divided down the middle between conservatives and liberals. And that wasn't necessarily... conservatives doing. Censorship has a way of separating people. And whether that's in, in social spaces like Twitter or in, in private spaces. For example, John Gibson, the CEO of Tripwire Interactive, which is a video game studio, recently came out as pro-life and he was immediately fired. Now tell me that that's not an us versus them situation. Here is a man just doing his job, just living his life, just saying his opinion online. And then as soon as he identifies himself as part of a specific group of people, the pro-life people, suddenly he's not allowed to be in his space anymore. It doesn't matter how good of a CEO he is. doesn't matter how kind of a person he might be. It doesn't matter. He identified himself as part of them, so he's fired. And I think that because society is like that, because conservatives get banned on Twitter constantly, because conservatives are censored in many, many, many areas of life, from schools to political spaces to mainstream, I mean, the reason that mainstream media is so skewed toward a left viewpoint is because for years and years and years, anyone who expressed a conservative opinion in those spaces was forced out of a job. And we see this all the time. We, see, we saw this just last year when Chris Harrison, the host of The Bachelor and Bachelorette franchise, he had been hosting since the beginning of the show many, many years ago. He expressed one conservative opinion and bang, just like that, his whole career with the Bachelor franchise was over. They just fired him. So that's why I speak in terms of us versus them. Because identifying as conservative in a public space is a costly thing. There are sometimes very severe consequences. I am lucky to be able to be working in a not explicitly conservative, but, but conservative job. That's the only reason that I can have my whole name and my picture um, available on Twitter. That's the only reason I can be myself on Twitter. I don't have to hide my views. Now, are there people in my life who have rejected me because of my viewpoints? Absolutely. There are people I don't really have a chance to, to be with anymore or talk to anymore. And that's not a decision that I made. That's the decision that they made to walk away. So I don't, it is not my intention to add fuel to a fire or to further a divide between people. But to me, that divide absolutely exists. And to me, it would be kind of silly to ignore it. So 
I'm not going to. I'm going to keep tweeting as if there's kind of kind of two sides. And there's nuance um, in the, and there's a bit of a spectrum. People land in different places between right and left. But there are a few issues where, depending on what you think about those issues, you're kind of one side or the other. And uh, you face the consequences if you're a conservative. So those are the three things that I wanted to talk about this week. And at the end of each of my podcasts, I'm thinking that I'd like to do some sort of review, whether that's a book review or a movie review. I read a lot of books, so I think it's probably usually going to be a book review. But this time I thought I would review a TV show, a pretty short TV show. It's called Spark Joy with Marie Kondo, and it is on Netflix currently. It just came out on Netflix. It is a follow-up series to Tidying Up with Marie Kondo that she did back in January. I believe it came out in January of 2019, 2020, January of 2020. I don't know what I'm talking about. It came out previously to this. Marie Kondo has a very interesting and simple philosophy when it comes to organizing your home and getting rid of clutter and living a bit of a simpler life. She has a very spiritual take on on the things that you own and how you interact with those things and how you interact with getting rid of those things when you own too much. And Spark Joy is a really beautifully presented three-episode series on just cleaning up your lives. There there are three different families with with three different uh, situations and, and uh, work-life balances. And she goes into each of those situations and helps those people uh, find balance and clean and organize and uh, just kind of recenter. And back back when I watched Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, the first one, it really reset how I looked at my house and how I looked at my things. And primarily the theory that she presents is why would you keep something if it doesn't give you joy? Why would you keep something in your life if it's not serving a purpose? Why would you keep something that just sits there and reminds you of something awful or sits there and is just trash, but you just are not ready to get rid of it for one reason or another? It was a gift. You paid a lot of money for it. All kinds of reasons why people keep things they don't use. But she just encourages you to to get rid of everything that's not providing something positive in your life. That's not a positive influence in your life. And letting those things go and experience the lightness of life that comes with not being weighed down by all of those things. I'm not sure if I'm explaining it well, but I do, if you're a person who likes organizing, cleaning type of reality TV, because it is reality TV, it's not overly dramatized, but that is what it is. I do recommend those two shows. I would recommend starting with Tidying Up and then going on to Spark Joy. But I will say, my husband couldn't stand it. He didn't want to watch it. It wasn't his thing. So not for everyone, but there's your TV review. And with that, I'm going to say goodbye. We are at about 
24 minutes long. So thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.